questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Most people are sold on the idea that science works. The science is settled, so they say. How many times in history so-called scientists have been wrong? For decades, cigarettes were promoted and even endorsed by doctors. You couldn't watch a TV program without the actors or news anchor smoking. Doctors smoked during commercials. Everyone believed smoking was healthy. We now know what was settled science was wrong. What about the millions of people who believe in the settled science of vaccination? Autism has skyrocketed, and there is a concerted effort to hide the correlation between vaccines and autism rates. After 1985, children would get three shots. Now, they get 72 shots. The same people who believe the narrative are the same who say there is no censorship and a Google search is impartial. Did you know there is a national adult vaccination plan in the works? Stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Tonight's special guest is a friend of this program. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is a board-certified osteopathic medical doctor from Cleveland, Ohio. She's the founder of Tenpenny Integrative Medical Center, a clinic that specializes in holistic health and healing, including breast thermography, allergy relief, and bioidentical hormones. The clinic has seen patients from all 50 states and more than 17 countries. Tenpenny is an internationally known expert on the problems associated with vaccines. Students from all over the world have become confident parents and articulate activists through her online educational courses. She's the author of several books and a contributor to many more. She has done hundreds of TV and radio interviews as the voice for the health of freedom. Dr. Tenpenny is an outspoken advocate for free choice in healthcare including the right to refuse vaccination. She has invested nearly 20 years and more than 40,000 hours, documenting and exposing the problems associated with vaccines. Her websites are drtenpenny.com, that's drtenpenny.com, and also courses for mastery, that's number four, mastery.com. She joins us directly from Cleveland, Ohio. Hello, Dr. Tenpenny, and welcome back after 10 years. How are you? My goodness, how time flies. Thank you so much for inviting me back, and it's good to hear you again. My pleasure. Well, let's begin with the elephant in the room, COVID-19, or some call it COVID-1984. Tell us what you (laughs) thought when you heard a deadly virus was coming to America and the rest of the world. Let's begin with that. Well, back in March, and it was like the end of February, first part of March, when I started seeing what was happening here and what they were announcing, of course, like most people, the first three weeks, everyone was a little bit disconcerting because I'd made a statement a couple of times. It's like, well, are they trying to blame this on the virus? And is it really some sort of a biochemical attack? Is it really, you know, sarin gas? Is it really something else that's happening and they're trying to blame it on a virus? Sort of like look to the left, look to the left when the real action was happening by looking to the right. So the first three weeks was, you know, like I think that uh, the types of precautions that we took and the types of things we were doing seemed to make a lot of sense because we just didn't know. By about the middle part of March, 
March, I said, you know, this is really crazy. Um, this is a virus that, um, that, that they're shutting down the entire global economy about. This is really, really about power control and manipulation. And when they crunched these numbers about the virus and how many people were sick and how many people were, how many people died, they're all going to say, well, gosh, this was no worse, no different than a bad flu season. And when I first started saying that the first part of March, I kind of got a, took a lot of heat for that because everybody disagreed with me. Oh, they needed ventilators and everybody running around in hazmat suits and all of that stuff. And so I, I kind of sat back and took a look. And then I wrote my first article that is on my, my website, Vaxter.com. V is in victory, A-X-X-T-E-R.com. And it was same playbook, different virus. So I took a longitudinal look back to SARS in, in 2002 and then bird flu in 2005 and then H1N1 swine flu in 2009. And I said, they're doing the same sort of hysterical pandemic cry wolf, cry wolf this time, only they are doing it now globally and they're tying the economic slamming to the floor, the entire world's economic system. So this has always been, in my opinion, about a a virus that we're still learning some things about. Yes, I do believe the virus exists, but I think that the pandemic has been totally fabricated. When you say global economy, do you think it was really the global economy or was it mainly the United States to bring down the Trump administration? Well, I do really believe it was a global economy. I have a lot of friends that live in Europe and a lot of friends that live in Australia. And when you look at the entire entire industries globally that have been decimated, you look at the airline industry, the hotel industry, the cruise industry, um, restaurants, restaurateurs, the wine industry. I mean, all of those things, we live in a global, a global matrix of economy these days. It wasn't just about the United States. I mean, if they had done things and set things up to just decimate the U.S. economy, then I could agree with what you just said. Was this really about Trump? Was this really about destroying the sizzling economy that he had built in three years with the lowest unemployment rate for blacks, Hispanics, and women? and bringing factories back and reopening America and getting people to have confidence enough again to start businesses. If it had just affected the United States, I would agree with that statement that this was really political and about Trump and how he was a you know political outsider from the beginning, disrupting the, the um, deep state's plans. But because this was globally uh, done and millions of people worldwide that are never going to be back into work, I mean, people who... I think about, you know, this was the first time in 16 years that I did not go to Cabo San Lucas in April for a month. First time in 16 years. And I think about that entire area down there that I've watched it grow since 2004 and all the hotels and timeshares and casinos and all of those things that all that employed thousands of Mexican people that now they're all out of work and they'd be, be, be out of work forever. I mean, people are not, you know, when they open up travel again, Who's going to want to travel like that? And who's want to do this social distancing mask nonsense that they set up all over the world? It wasn't just in the United States. So this was a global takedown. This wasn't just about the U.S. I remember back in January, February, I thought, could this have been orchestrated? And I said, if China goes back to work in March, that means that in February, that's when the Chinese New Year happens, January or February. But if they go back to work 100% and all those manufacturing plants go back online 100%, something tells me that this could have been orchestrated. And lo and behold, they all went back to work 100% in March. What's your take on that? Um, well, and they're continuing to. I mean, you know, you order things from Amazon and the boxes come and the, stu the stuff that comes in from Amazon says right. made in China. So, you know, I mean, it's, they, they, it hasn't been shut down. Um, but, you know, the scary part to me is that if people, people, you know, what's happening here in the U.S. with the masks, with the social distancing, with the um, specter of mandatory vaccination, whether they force you to get vaccinated or they make your life so incredibly miserable that it's very difficult to live outside of that matrix. And, um, you know, with that, so, you know, and people are saying, you know, they are saying, where can I go? I mean, if this, and seeing the socialist movement and the burning down in, in the, of our cities and all of the things that's happening with the vandalism and the chaos and, you know, people are saying to me all the time, you know, where, where can I go? 
Well, because they've done this global lockdown, I mean, you travel to even countries like the Seychelles, which is a tiny little island nation in the Indian Ocean. You have to be COVID tested 24 hours before you arrive. You have to wear a mask. You have to agree to put a, a contact tracing app on your phone from the time you get there to a very expensive vacation in the middle of the Indian Ocean, which to me just represents pretty much what it's like all over the world. Where are you going to go? Where can you start a business? Where can you become employed? Where can you have some sort of freedom to just go into a restaurant and eat? Who's going to tolerate forever being on an airplane for long distance haul flights and having to wear a mask the entire time? I called United Airlines the other day because I was trying, That's I've got almost 2 million miles with United and I've been a platinum member with them for 27 years with Continental United, which means that I'm a, I'm a heavy flyer. I mean, I fly between 75 and 100,000 miles a year for more than 25 years and ask them what their rules were on medical exemptions and having, having walked up the ladder uh, a bit and kind of pulling rank with them a little bit. Uh, what I found out was that there are no medical exemptions and there are no exceptions except for three-year-old children or under the, and only when they're eating. Now, seriously, people, I mean, the death rate from this, from this virus is negligible. We found that this whole concept of asymptomatic carriers, it means a healthy person because we all carry around a trillion viruses and bacteria on us every single day. They, there've been at least four studies that I'm aware of now that show that asymptomatic people who test positive, whatever the heck that means to test positive, uh, for the little tracings and little dribblings of this virus in their system. If you don't have a fever and a cough, you're not spreading anything. And yet this virus is supposed to be the most deadly virus ever in the planet. We have to wear a mask because we might spread it to somebody. But yet if they're going to test you, they have to take a six-inch skewer and stab the back of your throat. If it was so deadly that we have to wear masks, why can't we just kind of like blow on a Q-tip and that be good enough? And, and so all of this stuff that they're doing is power, control, and manipulation. And the saddest and the scariest part of all of it to me is how everybody has just rolled over. It just rolled over. I mean, I was at the I was at the grocery store the other day, and I will not wear a mask. I do have a medical exemption, but even if I didn't, I wouldn't on principle. And um, and I was the only person. It's a big store. I was the only person in the entire store that didn't have on a mask. I was having a conversation with my wife the other day, seriously, and I said we were we're privy privileged to have been traveling throughout our lives. You know, I travel the world. And now I believe I'm not getting this mark of the beast. And if that means I'm not going to travel, probably I won't. I'm looking right now. We have a second home in Mexico. But other than that, I don't see ourselves being on an intercontinental flight now from here to Europe, eight, 10 hours with depletion of my oxygen and seeing children around me, you know, asphyxiating. What do you think? I agree. And I agree with what, um, you know, Dr. Judy Mikovits says when she said, I'm not going to fly. I'm not going to sit around and watch all of these people on airplanes in mass because I refuse to participate in assisted suicide. Assisted and, and, suicide. And, and, you know, assisted suicide, right? Watching these people get sicker and sicker, their oxygen levels go, their CO2 levels go up, they're changing the, the, the flora inside of their mouth with the change of the pH, right. they're getting this thing called mask mouth, they're getting mask dermatitis, they're not thinking clearly. I mean, when I wear, that's where I got a medical exemption. When I wear a mask for more than 10 minutes, I go into atrial fib. And they're not really, will, and, and I don't have it other than that. It's, it's just that the oxygen concentration drops enough and the CO2 goes up enough that it, over a 10 to 15 me- period of time, I don't feel well and I have an event. And so I'm not the only one. And so when Judy, and I agree with you, I've, I've done the same as you. I mean, when I was 29 years old, I made a kind of a declaration to the universe that I wanted to see a hundred countries before I died. I'm at 72. And I think that might be, unless something drastically changes between now and when I die, I think that may be where I'm going to cap off because I, there's no way. I mean, I can't, I refuse to wear a mask ever, and I'm not going to wear a mask even from, every day I get invitations to speak at conferences. Just this week, it was um, New Hampshire, Denver, Utah, Ireland, um, England, and Germany. And I'd turn them all down because I wasn't going to fly in any of them. What happens when you wear a mask for a prolonged amount of, say on a continent, intercontinental flight, eight, 10 hours, 
What happens to your body pH? Doesn't your immune system react to that? And perhaps even cancer grows on a, on a acidic blood pH? Yes, and that's what there was a group of of uh, pathologists out of Bulgaria that said that that they it, they anticipate seeing the cancer rate go up by as much as two hundred percent. Um, in the next few years, because people that have carcinoma in situ, which is a tiny little cancer cell, because we grow cancer cells all the time, all day long, and our immune system, ta- immune system takes care of it. And so if you've got what's called carcinoma in situ, which is a very early stage cancer that the vast majority of it, your immune system is going to shut down or you're going to go to your grave dying of something else other than cancer. When suddenly you change the oxygen tension, because cancer cells thrive on sugar and they thrive in low oxygenation environments. So when you lower the oxygen levels and you increase the carbon dioxide levels, the CO2 levels, when you increase the CO2 levels, you become acidic and cancer cells also thrive in an acidic environment. So now you've got the perfect storm, right? You've got low oxygen levels, increased carbon, increased carbon dioxide levels, which change the oxygen tension and the pH. And you've got people who are sitting around not exercising or they go out and exercise with a silly mask on and they, they're increasing their glucose requirements, you know, and are they're eating more, they're eating out of boredom or they're eating out of frustration or anger or sadness. And they're just feeding those cancer cells. And so I do believe that we're going to see a, a lot of increased pathology. The other area where we're going to see increased pathology is all the people who do need to be seeing their doctors or their naturopaths or their chiropractors or their people who are their healthcare providers for their uh, their diabetes control, for problems with their blood pressure, for types of chest pain they're having. I've had patients that have told me that they had some issues with some chest pain, but they would rather die of a heart attack than go to the hospital and get stuck through that hospital system of testing and quarantine and all that other stuff. I mean, those are big statements. And if I'm hearing it on a, a small scale, you just, just take that out across 300 people, 300 million people in this country. If how many people are not seeking wound care, who are not getting knee replacements or hip replacements or other types of things, a cataracts, their hearing fixed, different types of health care and medical care that they should be getting because they're either A, they refuse to go through the testing or and B, they're, refu- they're being refused medical care because they're refusing to be tested or to wear a mask. What happens to a child's development if they have to wear a mask for a prolonged amount of time, going back to school and being required to to wear a mask for, say, seven hours? I think that we're going to see horrific um, anxiety. I think we'll see post-traumatic stress. I think that so many kids have asthma and allergies these days because of being so highly vaccinated. I mean, kids get 35 vaccines by the time they start kindergarten these days if they're fully vaccinated and loaded with aluminum and all the other things in vaccines. And they are all on So many of them are on inhalers and asthma things and seizure disorders. Now, when you do the same thing that we just talked about, lowering oxygen, increasing CO2, and making them be afraid. I mean, the only way that you're going to get a five-year-old to keep a mask on is to put the fear of God in them. If you take this off, not only will you be punished, but you just might catch that virus and die. Now imagine what that does to a young developing brain. And they start learning to live with that. Part of becoming um, a human is is social interaction. It's test. It's touching. It's it's hugging. It's the little boy that runs over and pulls the little girl's pigtail. I mean, it's all part of human interaction is touching. So this contact tracing or, or this uh, social engineering of this of the uh, of the social distancing is going to be horribly detrimental on children. The younger the child is, I mean, they they're not being able to see their teacher's face, so they don't know if the teacher is smiling at them, approving of the work they're doing, or if the teacher's, you know, frowning at them. And then you've got this mask on that you got to muffle things that you can't really clear, hear clearly. I mean, the whole thing is a disaster. And then when you see really, really, you see infants, you see mothers wearing masks around infants. In infant brain development, from the time a baby pops out of the, pops out of the womb, from the time they're born till about four months of age, How they learn to recognize humanity is through their mother's face. 
they're that close with their breastfeeding or nursing or they're close to their mother. It's really 90% of their brain development is about their mother's face. And if they can't see their mother's face, all they're seeing is a mask, they're going to whisk, they're going to miss this window of opportunity of brain development about bonding with humanity. And I bounced that off of a couple of pediatricians who, who have actually said that, um, maybe a little different words, but said it in the same way. They said it's not till about four months of age that a child starts to realize there is something else in the universe for them to look at besides their mother's face. And that's when they start playing with their fingers and start playing with toys, little dangly uh, toys and things like that. And in br early childhood brain development, from the time they're born, until at least two years of age, maybe a little older than that, maybe four or five years of age, there's things that develop in the brain in sequence. And if you miss that window of opportunity in that sequence, there's no going back. That window closes. You just missed it. That brain doesn't develop recognizing those things. Well, you were talking, your subconscious mind uttered the words contact tracing. Is this a new industry like DHS or TSA? Is this a new medical Gestapo that we're about to face? Absolutely. I mean, not only are, are, is it a new medical industry, it's been in development for a while. I mean, like the COVID-19 tracing technology and the company that's that, that are making those, these are multinational companies, multinational companies that have had billions of dollars of backing to develop this. And, and there's all these specialized apps now that they want on your phone that's going to have, that's going to be so convenient. It's going to have all of your medical records and everything that you could possibly want to have. And, oh, yeah, all, uh, it's going to also have your passport and your driver's license and your banking information. And, oh, yeah, you can just activate it by touch screen with your thumbprint. Or you just can use that little, that little um, camera feature on your phone and, and, and go over that little microchip in your hand. I mean, they're, they're, as we speak right now, they're, they're going into um, – In Ireland, they are launching this entire thing called a health passport. They are, they are now uh, um, testing it on over 3,000 people in Ireland. And what they're actually doing, it's called the first, the world, first world technology developed to protect it, uh, the society, economy, and jobs. So that's, you're going to need to be vaccinated or identified to get your job. You're going to be able to have your little microchip or your little thing on your phone in order to buy, sell, and trade. You're going to, and we're going to protect you because it will keep track of all of your medical records, including your most recent COVID-19 test that for some industries they're recommending being tested every two weeks. Every two weeks. That's incredible. And have you heard I'm getting a lot of people from Australia, SOS, writing to me, please don't forget about us. Australia's in lockdown. First, they took away their guns years ago. Now they're all quarantined. And now people who are posting on Facebook are going to the police arrested. are getting arrested. Tell me about that. I mean, it's just terrific. I mean, you know, they're, you know, pharma has always had a very large presence and a very heavy hand in Australia, at least the last 10 or 15 years. They've come down really, really hard on people who choose to not vaccinate their children. I mean, they, they do no, no, uh, no shots, no pay, um, no, and no shots, no play. So no shots, no pay, meaning if you don't get vaccinated, you don't get a job. No shots, no play means that you can't have your children playing on the playground uh, or, or, or participating in sporting activities. Um, they've arrested multiple doctors and come after anti-vax organizations in Australia with very heavy hands. And now they're doing the same thing in Australia that Victoria has the most stringent um, um, quarantine um, rules of any place in the country. I mean, I'm sorry, any place in the world. And they have, they have um, circulating um, um, drones, making sure that people aren't going too far from their house and that, they aren't, that they're keeping social distancing when they're out walking on the sidewalk and they're wearing a mask when they're outside. I mean, and this is, this is a trial. This is social engineering. And all of the um, contact tracing technology is, you know, it reminds me of the Hitler brown shirt movement. And that everybody gets to spy on their neighbors and their family and their parents. And, and they get to get rewarded for turning people in. I mean, it's like, and it's like from 1984, the Ministry of Truth. Mm -hmm, right. The only thing that you're allowed to say and talk about is anything that's lockstep with the message that they want you to have, which goes to your question 
question about the girl that got arrested in Australia for posting something pretty benign. I mean, I read the, the, the post, it was pretty benign kind of saying, you know, we need to rebel against this. We need to kind of formal figure out a way to protest. And they go into her own home, handcuff her, arrest this pregnant girl in front of her children and her husband. I mean, what are, what are we going to do about this? How, how, you know, and then when I say, what are we going to do? And then you look at just last weekend, people are trying to do, I mean, look what happened in Berlin and Trafalgar Square in London and Ottawa um, and Massachusetts even, and places like that. I mean, people are, they're really fed up with this. They're really, really tired. They're really fed up with it. And the media is pretty silent about that. Trafalgar and Berlin and the rest of them. Why isn't the media showing the people and the hundreds of thousands of people who are rising up and saying enough is enough? Well, I, you know, because it doesn't go along with the narrative. And when you have the billions of dollars giving an advertisement to all the multiple mainstream media channels, and you have direct-to-consumer advertising only here in New Zealand, of course they're going to win. Of course they're going to win, uh, you know, unless they don't, <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they estimate there were more than 5 million people marching in the street in Berlin last weekend. And, uh, and Trafalgar Square, I mean, had a couple hundred thousand, Ottawa had a couple hundred thousand. I mean, and that's why they're the heavy hands of censorship is going up across social media, right? Because on so because this is how we, the people, have still been able to to maintain communication through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and um, LinkedIn and in various places where we post things. And now this censorship is becoming so heavy-handed. Um, people are looking also for places to escape there, which is a place I'm going to put in a little plug for a little safeless, uh, shameless promotion here is that we have two social media sites that my business partner and I developed that they're really secure, very safe. You'll never be deplatformed. You'll never be taken down. You'll never be censored unless, you know, for the obvious things, right? Like child trafficking and murder and stuff. <laughs> so, um, and it's the, the Facebook like site or similar type of site. The communication site is uniting dot zone, uniting dot zone. And then the place where you can upload videos and, um, and, st and, and have, um, you know, stored, um, MP4s is disseminate dot TV, disseminate dot TV. And within the next probably four to six weeks, we're going to have live streaming capabilities on both of those. So what I've been suggesting to a lot of people that have large followings and big sites is move your communication tools into a private area that is not being censored. It's not, it's on nobody else's platforms, but ours. So, you know, big brother isn't listening. And you can go over there on uniting.zone and set up places where you can start communicating safely. Keep your Facebook page. Keep it. Keep doing it over there until they shut you down. But now you've got a backup plan and start moving your fans, friends, and family members over to uniting.zone. The same thing about disseminate.tv. I mean, keep your stuff going over there on YouTube. I mean, as long as you can, you have your Patreon channel and you're making money and, and you've got advertising, whatever it is, keep your stuff over there until they shut you down because eventually they will. And in the meantime, for that, you know, look at disseminate.tv as a safety deposit box. Look at that as a place where you put your best content and look at all the different things that you have that you would never want to lose and put it over on disseminate.tv. And so when they do get you shaped, uh, take and start driving traffic over there, telling all your friends and fans and family members that, you know, if, if we get shut down over here, over here at disseminate.tv forward slash at whatever it is, is, uh, is where you're, you're going to be able to find us. We have a YouTube channel, although we don't depend on it. We have our own platform, but we use it. And uh, all of a sudden, at the beginning of the year, for the second year in a row, we were completely with over 1,200 videos demonetized. And now they say we're reconsidering putting, back, you know, putting you back on. But I suspect they won't do this until after November 3rd, I suspect. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to go back. You know what? Yeah. You know, when I look at, we talked, you know, briefly at the beginning of this, um, of our chat here about travel, you know, I have a, a magazine in the, in the kitchen that just 
you know, it's one of the travel magazines I've always looked at because like you, I really enjoy traveling and it shows all of these reconfigurations of airports and all, you know, for social distancing and not having to touch anybody and not being, and, and having, um, contactless cash payments and where you just wave your debit card in front of a thing. So you can't possibly touch anybody else. And that they're talking about redesigning, reconfiguring airplanes, taking out all of the center seats. And if they ever decide to put the center seats back in, they will be put in in reverse and you'll have plastic, um, you know, uh, windows around you, you know, that you sit inside of there. They're not going to serve food. They're not going to serve drinks or alcohol or coffee. They'll only serve you water in watered bottles because my gosh, you might touch somebody. They have to have barricades around you. So you're not touching your neighbor. I mean, if entire industries are doing that, this is not going to go away anytime soon. Is this another ploy to ban cash? Because, you know, cash is dirty and it passes COVID, according to them, and convince the population to chip themselves out of convenience? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's the, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I believe in the Christian prophecy. And this is the mark of the beast. And we've got people begging for it. Just please make my life go back to normal. Please, please just do whatever it takes. Oh, yes, I'll wear the mask. Yes, I'll keep my distance. I'll wear gloves. Give me the vaccine. Just make my life go back to normal. Let me be able to go to a restaurant, go to the gym. Well, people, you're just fooling yourself if you think that by complying with the social engineering, that suddenly a, a magic flip's going to, a switch is going to flip, and it's going to look like it did on 1-1-2020. The CDC wants the public to prepare for distribution of COVID-19 vaccine by November 1st. Warp speed, as they call it. But I remember Dr. Fauci at the beginning of the year saying, no, hydroxychloroquine is just anecdotal. We need more testing. But then again, we have vaccines that are completely exempted by the Supreme Court of the United States, so they don't even have to conduct safety studies. Why are people trusting this? I have no idea. You know, when I first started writing, I told you I wrote the, the first article, like in March, it was on, on Vaxter, V-A-X-X-T-E-R dot com, which is same playbook, different virus. This I wrote, it's a five part uh, series. I need to finish it and do the sixth part, which is about the vaccine. I've been kind of waiting to see where they're, where that's going to home down into, because they, at one point there were like 190 candidates and then they went to like 140. And now I think there's maybe somewhere around 30 and you know, there it's, it's like going to the, going to Las Vegas and, and playing roulette. It's like putting your money on it, you know, red or green, or what number are you going to put it on? Because that's how they're actually treating this vaccine development. And the thing that's, that's the most terrifying about all of this is that this was part two. This is the, the article part two that I wrote. The most dangerous le legal precedent ever for humanity, and for, particularly for Americans, is that the 2005 PREP Act went into play and um, was actually activated in March 2020. And the PREP Act was passed in 2005, which is uh, the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act of 2005, which gives the pharmaceutical industry complete and utter protection. It takes the 1986 Childhood Injury Compensation Act and put it, puts it on steroids. It's, uh, and so if they uh, develop this vaccine... And they put it into um, they, they put it into use, and uh, um, and they can, the, the prep act can apply to a vaccine, a drug, a pharmaceutical, a technology, a software, anything that's made under the umbrella of co of this emergency that we refer to as COVID 19 It has complete liability protection, even if it kills you, even if it kills you or seriously harms you. The only type of comp the only type of um of compensation that you can get, or the only type of, of wherewithal that you can get is for the, um, is if you could, if a group of people could approach the U S attorney general and expect and, uh, and convince the U S attorney general that this, um, was not, was, um, was, uh, developed under an act of willful misconduct, which by legal standards, I've been told is almost impossible to, to, to prove. So if an act of legal, um, of, um, le of, of um, illegal um, misconduct. So in order, so that meant that they intentionally created this to harm you. 
and you have to prove it to the U.S. Attorney General before any action is taken against the manufacturer of that drug, that vaccine, or that product. We know that the messenger RNA vaccines that have been gone through animal trials back all the way from 2002 forward, because they've been trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine since since 2002. The animal trials, the animals were either seriously injured and killed by an accelerated autoimmune disease or that they died from the, from re-exposure to the virus after they'd been vaccinated. The reason that they can get fast-tracked through this program with their vaccines is because they were offered an a, a emergency utilization authority that they can fast-track it past animal studies into human trials. Well, of course they want to do that. Because why would they ever want to do the animal studies again, which already proved that the vaccine kills people, kills the animals, and they were never, the FDA never allowed them to move it into human trials. So everybody wanting to run to the head of the line for a vaccine that has never been developed for humans before, has been trialed since 2002, and the animals either developed severe autoimmune disease or they died. Uh, um, there and and that it's you'll get one you'll probably get two of these vaccines and the serious repercussions don't happen until you get re-exposed to the virus. We know there's a compounding effect of people that get a COVID-19 vaccine if they have previously and very recently been received a flu shot, which is a big push for this year. They want to fast track a vaccine that's never been done before. It's just foolhardy. And and when people don't understand the full ramifications of that, and they think that just by getting vaccinated, life will, okay, fine, give me the shot. I don't care. I just don't want to have to, I just want my life to be normal again. They're sorely mistaken. So the influenza virus was discovered, what, in the 1930s? And we've had a working flu vaccine since 1945, when it was approved for military use, and the next year for civilian use. That's almost 80 years Why are they pushing the flu vaccine every single year, which begs the question, just like the flu never went away with the flu vaccine, is this COVID-19 going away with a vaccine or will they just be pushing it every year just like the flu? Well, they're actually talking about it, maybe even having to administer it quarterly. Quarterly? I've seen that in a couple places. At least semi, because the antibodies, these protective antibodies, the, this particular virus and this vaccine doesn't make very many of those. And they're not very long lasting because the coronaviruses as a family, we first discovered them in, um, in the 1960s. And there are 36 of them. And we know that there are seven of them that infect humans. And on a year-after-year basis, um, influenza illness is caught, uh, of the people that get what looks like the flu, 40% of that illness is caused by coronaviruses. This isn't new. It's been around for a long time. This new virus has been mechanically manipulated that it does things like causes blood clots and, and uh, is frequency activated to snip off iron off of a hemoglobin. I mean, there's lots of different things and that, that give, um, give credence to the theory that this vaccine is either, ma- or this virus is either man-made or, or man-manipulated. And, you know, the NIH back a couple months ago actually even took credit for holding the patent so that they could do things to manipulate the spike protein. And the spike protein on the back of the virus is what binds it to the cell and allows the virus to get inside the cell. I mean, this science is not new. I mean, we've had this around for a long time. And the coronaviruses have been around for a long time. We've been trying to create a, vi- a vaccine for coronaviruses for a long time because of the burden of illness about how many people coronaviruses make sick on any given year. But it's never been possible because coronavirus vaccines don't work and they are deadly. There are many doctors speaking out and they're being silenced. I get emails and voicemails from doctors. I remember one month ago, this is a very reputable vascular doctor from South Florida. And he left me a message saying, this is pulmonary thrombosis and the protocols that are being used are wrong. There's, as you said, there's a lot of stuff going on with the blood, the blood clots. We can treat this differently, not with ventilators, which have, what, what is it? 87% chance of dying if you go in a ventilator? Yes. And part of that, there was twofold, a couple of things about that in the ventilators. First of all, one of the, you know, there's a distinction, and I and I always make a really big deal to talk about this because, you know, we talk about COVID nineteen like 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 people generally know what that means, and they don't. I mean, the name of the virus is SARS CoV two, 
which means SARS coronavirus like number two, because the SARS, the coronavirus that was the SARS epidemic in 2002, and then the MERS epidemic in the Middle East, um, I think it was the next year, which was very short lived. These were coronaviruses. Well, this is what we're talking about now is a coronavirus. The name of that virus is SARS CoV 2, like saying, My name is Sherry. This complex of symptoms that that virus causes, the shortness of breath, the fever, the severe cough, the body aches, the worsening cough when you talk, the loss of your ability to have taste and smell, that symptom complex, that symptom complex is what is technically COVID-19. So when you go out and you get tested, you're not getting tested for COVID-19. You're getting tested for the presence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The PCR testing is very accurate for identifying little tiny fragments of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the other SARS viruses. It can say, yes, you've had an exposure to this virus and you've got little, almost like little viral poop. You've got little pieces that are still in your system. So that I, it, it, so that's where they come up with this concept of cases, number of cases, which means absolutely nothing. It's agenda-driven. It's fear-driven. People that, that are testing positive as a case, when they're asymptomatic, they don't have a fever, they don't have a cough, they're not spreading anything. But these people are being put into quarantine and treated like they're lepers. Which, but a case, in the case, as the cases go up, Oh my gosh, that means that the virus is spreading everywhere. No, that means that probably most people are developing herd immunity and natural resistance because they've been exposed to that coronavirus somewhere along the time, and now they have little little droppings of it throughout their system, which, yes, can be positive on a, on a, a PCR test, but it doesn't mean anything. They're not sick. They're not sick. And so the distinction between that, the name of that virus and the name of that syndrome complex is really different, which goes back to your original question about the ventilators. When this virus first came on the scene and people were getting sick from it, you know, like, like flu season, when we get 60,000 people that contract influenza-like illness from influenza viruses, people, their, their main complaint was serious, severe shortness of breath and their oxygen saturation levels were measuring low. And therefore they were very, very sick. They were in the hospital and they were placed on a ventilator. Well, the ventilator damaged the lungs because that was really not that the people were not, didn't have low oxygen because they, uh, because there was something wrong with their lungs. They had low oxygen because there was something wrong with their red blood cells and their red blood cells could not carry the oxygen, which gave you the symptom of shortness of breath. And so when there was something wrong with their red blood cells and they were getting uh, pulmonary embolisms, which is caused by blood clots, there were issues. That's what I said very, very, very early on. And I wrote and talked a little bit about this. I said, this virus is not a respiratory virus. It's a, there's a problem with the blood. It's a blood-based virus. I don't know the whole mechanism. How does it turn out that we've got a malaria drug that treats this? I mean, there's still some pieces to the puzzle that are not completely mapped out. But when people were being put on a ventilator, they were, it was, they were getting treated with a, a mechanical machine that damaged their lungs because there was really nothing wrong with their lungs. They were experiencing shortness of breath because of problems in their blood, not shortness of breath because there were symptoms with their lungs. And we hadn't really mapped that out yet. So in kind of the doctor's defense, they were trying, they were putting people on ventilators because they saw their oxygen levels really low. Very, very early on, there were a couple of studies that came out that showed that if they gave these people two units of packed red blood cells when they, and they were having their shortness of breath, the shortness of breath went away and they did not need to be on ventilators, which went to the proof that this was a blood disorder there was a problem with the iron and the hemoglobin in the red blood cells, that if iron and hemoglobin are not bound together, they cannot carry oxygen. So this is where the problem was and why people on ventilators were dying, because they were not, their lungs were being treated and not their blood. So if that's the case, why couldn't other doctors who saw the light use that protocol? Were they forbidden from using it? Yes. That's just like the doctors were forbidden from using hydroxychloroquine. Now, hydroxychloroquine, what the how it works, it's called an it's called a zinc ionosphore, and the and what that actually means is that that um, that drug binds to the cell wall. And if you think of it as like a bi-directional bucket, that when the bucket is turned up, 
it grabs a, 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 a particle of, um, of mineral of zinc when it's pointed up, and then it rotates 180 degrees and drops that little mineral of zinc inside the cell. And so what hydroxychloroquine does is it binds to the surface of cells and it grabs the zinc that's floating around out in the environment, out in your blood and in your lymph, and it turns 180 degrees like a little lever and drops the zinc to the inside of the cell. When the zinc goes inside the cell, what it does is it stops reverse transcriptase, which is the replication of the virus. And that's why a lot of the symptoms stop right away because the blood clots stop forming. And, um, and so people can start breathing better. And the other thing is zinc is a known uh, cofactor on more than 200 enzymes. And what a cofactor is, it's like the key that turn, that you put into the lock that unlock the door. So zinc as a, as a cofactor is like the key that goes into enzymes and unlocks the enzymes and makes it function. So that's why the protocols that were used early on with hydroxychloroquine and zinc uh, were really uh, effective. They added zithromycin, which is an antibiotic, kind of prophylactically to cover the bases if this was also a bacterial infection, but also that because of the zithromycin also has some anti-inflammatory properties that really seemed to help with, with this whole blood disorder. Um, there was another physician who was using a, a drug called Palmacort. Palmacort is an inhaled steroid. So when there was inflammation going on in the lungs, they would take just a couple of hits off of this in, a steroid inhaler. And within the first 24 hours, their symptoms would be gone because their lungs weren't inflamed anymore. They did several studies where they used um, large doses of IV vitamin C in China, which was very, very effective. But they, the FDA refused to let them do it here. Like the FDA refused to, or the, the department, the pharmacy board refused to let us use hydroxychloroquine. In fact, in fact, that was the fifth article that I wrote on Vaxter. It was called the Ohio, the Ohio Boomerang and Hydroxychloroquine. Um, the, when um, when they issued the, the state board of um, the state pharmacy board here in Ohio <clears throat> sent out letters to every physician by fax and by email that said effective this day, and it was like a like a Wednesday night at eight effective tonight. You are no longer allowed to prescribe hydroxychloroquine to any patient unless they are in, enrolled in a, a clinical trial under an institutional review board called an IRB. You cannot prescribe it unless they are in an experimental protocol. And pharmacies, you pharmacy people out there, are not allowed to fill it for any circumstance. None. The next morning, Governor DeWine comes onto the news and says, well, you know, that's kind of heavy handed. And the FDA, kind of, the head of the FDA says, you know, prescribing should be between a doctor and a patient. You know, maybe we should rethink about this, this, uh, this ruling that just came out from the state pharmacy board. By eight o'clock that night, so in a 24-hour period, we went from absolutely not, you cannot prescribe this drug under any circumstances because it doesn't work and it's dangerous, to 24 hours later, yeah, write it forever you want. Pharmacies, you guys can fill it. Doctors, you can write it. You don't need to put a diagnosis code on it. They don't have to be in, an investig in, a, in a study. Um, if you think that this will help your patients, just go ahead and write for it which to me is the, the most one of the most blatant statements about how this is political and has nothing to do with science, nothing to do with medicine, nothing to do with healthcare, nothing to do with saving patients' lives. I'm not a statistician, but I notice a few interesting things when looking at the global COVID cases and deaths. India, for example, shares a border with China. Their cases and deaths are really low. Same with the entire continent of Africa. And I found out they use hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic. If that's the case, what is preventing the FDA? And what about the right to try law? You know, people that are dying, if they have no other choice, why not give them another choice? Why not make this optional if they want to through their doctors? Well, that's a really, really good point. I mean, it's really a good point. I mean, through the, the right to try legislation, they should be able to try anything. But the right to try legislation is written in kind of funky language. I mean, it's not like, uh, let's say that tomorrow you get diagnosed with um, lung cancer or colon cancer, any kind of cancer. You just diagnosed with cancer. And you say, I really want to go to Europe or I want to go to a clinic here in the U.S. that does integrative holistic cancer treatment. And I should be able to have a right to do that. The right to try legislation is written that if you've tried all of the conventional stuff first and it doesn't work, 
then you have a right to try these alternative things without being penalized. And the doctors can try it without being, without getting penalized. And, you know, there's a fund of money that will, you can actually even tap into. So you have to go through cut, burn and poison first before you do get to the right to try. It's just like Dr. Brzezinski, Dr. Brzezinski in Texas. Exactly. It's exactly like that. Exactly. Now, COVID-19 has a survival rate of, what would you say, is it 99% or something close to that? If there are no safety studies on vaccines and vaccines contain a number of preservatives and adjuvants, there's always a risk, damage or death. Why would anybody not take the chance of, I'll survive this on my own with my immune system, as opposed to what what percentage of death would would it be with a vaccine? Mm. Well, according to uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, she believes that 50, up to 50 million people will die in the United States alone from this vaccine. 50 million. That's, that's, what is that? That's uh, 25% of the population? Yes. And so, um, yeah, and that's just in the U.S. alone. And so it's, um, yeah. And so, but, you know, short of death... There's all this big, long laundry list of things that we've seen with all the other vaccines that are on the market have been approved. The asthma, allergies, eczema, ADD, ADHD, insulin-dependent diabetes, um, pneumonia, blood clots, um, a long list of neurological problems, seizures, disorders, um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, a long list of neuropathies, all kinds of autoimmune diseases. There's all that other big book of business that they get to sell drugs to if people get sick from vaccines. See, that's why I've, excuse me, why I've long said that the vaccine industry is the economic loss leader for the entire pharmaceutical industry. Come and get your free flu shots. Come and get them, you know, or take your kids to the health department or your insurance will pay for your kids to be fully vaccinated with every dose of 10 vaccines by the time they're age of two. Your insurance will pay for it. It's free. Oh, but then your kid gets cancer and diabetes and chronic refractory seizure disorders and autoimmune diseases and has kidney failure and they lose their hair and have alopecia. Oh yeah. All of those things that we now need to go to the specialist, the super subspecialist and be on a long list of medications for life. When we last spoke 10 years ago, we discussed many things, including vaccine exemptions with the push for mandatory vaccination. Will vaccines or vaccine exemptions be outlawed in your opinion in the near future if we, if we don't stand up? Well, they are very much pushing for that, for the exemptions. I mean, you, starting in 2015, when they passed SB 277 in California, I mean, that was the first domino to fall when they took away California's right to refuse. They took away their philosophical exemption. And then they took away their medical exemptions. And then they did that in California, and they, we, we put up a big fight in New Jersey. Uh, Maine fell, and Maine, you know, now in 2021, they no longer will have their philosophical exemptions. Um, you know, and so the list, so our, I kind of think that this fall, and I think that they're going to do, when everybody's head is all focused on the election and, you know, Trump versus, you know, Joe hiding, you know, and all these other things that are <laughs> yeah. happening, um, you know, and everybody's worried about, and rightfully so, worried about mail-in ballots and Antifa and all these, you know, violent chaos things that are going on in the country and the big socialist movement here. Well, everybody's looking over there. I think we're going to start soon, start to see the the mother of all pushes across the country to eliminate every vaccine exemption, even medical exemptions. Just like they, I mean, and, and, you know, keep in mind, the exemptions have always only applied to K through 12, kindergarten through 12, because they were all set in place by state laws back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. It's that's why it, it's only and most of those kids, you know, most of those kids at that time uh, didn't go didn't go on to college. And so there was there's no exemptions, really no legal exemptions for medical uh, uh, for medical, philosophical or religious exemptions for college. There's certainly no exemptions that apply from a legal perspective for industry. I mean, look at the nurses and the you know healthcare workers that are forced to take flu shots, you know, against their will in order to have a W-2 paycheck. 
I mean, think, and, uh, and so now we're getting all of these, we get calls every single day. I mean, dozens and dozens of calls. Can you please write me a medical exemption for a mask? I can't stand this. I can't function like this. So, and so that's, and when we do, and we come up and some people really do have a real legitimate reason to not wear a mask. You know, they have cardiac things. They have um, true social anxiety. They have anxiety. They've got asthma, all these different things. Employers are not accepting them. They're not. They're saying you wear a mask all except for the 20 minutes a day when you're eating your lunch or you will lose your job. There's plenty of unemployed people out there waiting to take that seat. Is this turning into social? I mean, when you look at Michigan, when you look at Illinois, California, New Jersey, Virginia, all these states, they're behaving almost like a communist country. Almost like? (laughs) I was being nice, I guess. I thought you were actually being nice. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, between the communist state and the Nazism that we're seeing in the, you know, in terms of like the socialist stuff that's happening, you know, the contact rate between the masks. I mean, think about this. It's always been illegal to wear a mask. If you have a concealed carry, it's always been illegal to wear a mask to go into a bank. It's always been illegal to wear a mask when you went into the post office, not anymore. It's all, you know, and now this whole things where they put the little steps, you know, the little six feet apart, little feet where you're supposed to stand in line for social distancing. Talk about social engineering and people just do it. Or the arrows. You can only walk one way at the grocery store. Yeah. One way down the seat. So you can't be in contact and people when they have masks, they don't look each other in the eye and they don't see each other's faces. They don't say hello. Good morning. You don't know if the person walking to you is, is Susie or Joey. It's dehumanizing. It's absolutely, it's the intent. It's dehumanizing because all of this, the masks, the social distancing, the contact tracing, the mandatory vaccination, the being marked on your hand or your forehead, you know, all the little temperature things when you go in now, they use this little laser thing. It looks like a gun and point it to your head to take your temperature. Now talk about, you know, where the mark of the beast is supposed to be is either on your forehead or your hand. You're getting used to somebody like measuring what's on your forehead. And these look like guns. I mean, what is this teaching children about taking guns and pointing them at people's heads? They're obviously mentally preparing the population. And I know that you won't take the mark of the beast, nor will I. But if they push it to the point where it's mandatory, how can those of us who will refuse do so? You won't be able to. There's not, there is not going to be any, like, please, doctor, give me a medical exemption. I mean, they may have that open for a small window of time, but there won't be a religious exemption. There won't be a philosophical exemption of just saying, no, thank you. The separation between me and my government starts at the level of my skin, period. You know, and honestly, I I still maintain, and I've said this, I've been talking about this for about four years now about in, in and you know, I've been, I've been so far ahead of the curve on this. I'm telling you, I mean, I bought the URL coalition against mandatory vaccination. I bought that URL in 2002. Wow. I knew this was coming eventually and I could get not one, not anybody to stand up and go, wow, you know, we should, we should be prepared. We should stand up, make sure it doesn't get there. And cause I came up with this idea of coalition against mandatory vaccination in 2002, thinking at that point in time, that was a concept that even pro vaccine people could probably get their head around. You know, yeah, if I want to get vaccinated, I want to be vaccinated, but it shouldn't be mandatory. Nobody should be forced to do this. And so here we are. Here we are. And the same thing I've been talking about, you know, ratcheting up the vaccine schedule and putting forth mandatory vaccines for adults mm, at least five years now. And everybody's like, no, Sherry, no, Dr. Tenpenny, absolutely not. They will never take it that far. They would never take it that far. Well, here we are. And I still maintain that I think it will be somewhat challenging for them to ratchet the, the uh, vaccine, the, make the vaccine mandatory because at a federal level, because in our country, now they can certainly do that in Australia, New Zealand, anywhere in Europe and on and on. But in our country, in the United States, um, vaccination, vaccination laws and vaccination exemptions are at the state level. And there's all kinds of federal monies that, that flow into the states to, to maintain their vaccination schedules and their public health departments and their vaccination departments. And now they're making it so that every pharmacist can use can vaccinate with every single vaccine. All you have to do is walk in and roll up your arm. 
I mean, so there's a lot of money involved between the federal government and the states. So I think it would be challenging for the federal government to say, suddenly say, um, this is what we need to do. Even though having said that, at least twice now, they've floated a bill up through Congress. It came out of Florida. It was actually Frederica Wilson out of Florida, D Democrat um, out of Florida, that floated the most recent version of Vaccinate America's Children bill that had 19 co-signers on it. 18 of the 19 were Democrats. Now, it got no traction and it didn't move anywhere, but just the idea that that's what they were, and that was a couple years ago, that they were thinking to move that up the ladder. I think it would be challenging. Now, having said that, I think that what they will do is that, and they can do this, is they can make it so uncomfortable to live without that mark of the beast. I mean, you can't buy, sell, or trade. You can't travel, can't have a driver's license. You know, maybe it'll even be that, um, you know, if you want to have like Uber Eats, you want to have somebody deliver pizza. Well, they're not allowed to deliver pizza to your house unless you've been vaccinated. And you can show it on your smartphone that shows your records. I mean, these are all ideas that have been floating around. There's at least 120-some patents out there, at least that many, for microchipping technologies, human microchipping technologies. So this has been coming for a while. In fact, if you go to the World Economic Forum, you know, worldeconomicforum.org, okay. um, or you can just go to weforum, weforum.org, which is World Economic Forum, the short form of it, weforum, weforum.org. It's all there. Plan's been there for 50 years. High, high-level technology, super slick website with all kinds of things and new articles coming out every day about social control and how we have to work together and how this will be really good for the environment and the entire green agenda and all the taxes we're going to do, the carbon tax stuff. It's all there. And it's a really dense website that I promised myself I wouldn't spend more than a couple of hours a week on it because it's so dark. Did you read the latest so article about the world in 2030, which is exactly what you just said? I did not read it, but it doesn't surprise me. If you go to weforum.org, or if you look at BioLogos, B-I-O-L-O-G-O-S, like the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, BioLogos, and you look at what these people are planning, I mean, these are the people that have positioned themselves between Christian and science, and talk about twisted knowledge and twisted messages. I mean, the, you know, I, I, that they just had over 6,000 Christians sign a pledge that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, not in spite of it, but because of it, we pledge to wear a mask because we have taken care of our federal citizens. We promise to get vaccinated because vaccination is a gift from God. We promise to do social justice because the whole world needs that. Really, we need Southern Poverty Law Center's type of justice, which supports Antiva and Black Lives Matters. Yeah. We're really, as Christians, going to swear on to that. And we are absolutely going to do whatever we can to stop the misinformation that doesn't come from God's scientists. So now we're promoting scientism and kneeling and genuflecting to the leaders like Fauci and Burks, who happen to be our, our leading um, saving scientists. And they interweave on this site. I mean, it's, it's again, it's BioLogos, B-I-O-L-O-G-O-S.org. They interweave like Christian faith and they cherry pick Bible verses and they when it move, when it interweave it together. There's an article that I, I reference quite frequently that just came out on June the 10th. Walking by faith and wearing a mask. You must do this. I mean, it's the, when you read it, it's the most twisted logic like ever. We have to take Ever. our one and only break, but when we come back, we're going to get deeper into this. I mean, this double standard of my body, my choice, that one specific political party mentions that more than the other, but when it comes to vaccines, whoops, that doesn't apply. But in the meantime, how can people learn more about your work and so on, Sherry? Um, they can go to drtenpenny.com, drtenpenny.com, T-E-N-P-E-N-N-Y. If I had a nickel for every time somebody misspelled my last name, <laughs> really? I could retire. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's so simple, but they really mutilate it. It's dr10penny, T-E-N-P-E-N-N-Y.com. If you go to events, you can see all of the speaking things we're doing. We partnered with um, Hugs Over Mass Canada. We do weekly webinars. They're $11 a week. It supports the cause. You can sign up for them through um, through drtenpenny.com forward slash events. Um, you can come join me on Instagram, drtenpenny on Instagram, and also um, happy hour with Dr. T. I do a Monday through Friday Instagram live on um, getting together, sharing a beverage, having some laughs, um, sharing a word of God and praying together. Uh, Monday through Friday, it's it's hugs over, it's um, happy hour with Dr. T. And so drtempity.com has all that stuff in there that you can find it. Or if you wanna know all about our educational offerings, and we have a lot of them, you can go to courses, the number four, mastery.com courses for mastery.com which is courses the number four mastery.com i'm so honored to have dr sherry tampany back on veritas after 10 years and i hope you're enjoying this and learning as much as i am much more one hour after we return i'm mel hostelrick and you're listening to veritas don't go anywhere thank you for listening to the first part of this important veritas interview to listen to the rest and all of our material proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.